Welcome to Between the Sound, a place to share all things music, art, conversation, inspirations, aspirations, friendships, and where we get into it. So let's get into it. Born and raised in Beijing, China, and trained in the UK with a fashion design degree, she has more than 17 years' experience in international fashion and the art industry. Nowadays, she splits her time between London and South Wales whilst working on her own art and business solution, Fresh Mess Agency, introducing international talents to Chinese mega brands and marrying them through smart and sexy collaborations. With a prolific and culture-driven business goal, she has a strong belief in honest communication. Simply put, in her words, culture is not only language. Relationship building is essential, whether in London, the deep Californian mountains, or on a remote tiny island in Laos. As an ever-evolving and experimental creative with a unique eye for expression through multi-mediums and technology, she continues to be a trailblazer in the hottest new trends. Today, we welcome Ching Yang. First of all, thank you so much for joining me on Between the Sound. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So let's start with you originally hailing from China. Can you share your upbringing there and how it formed you? Right. I mean, I was born in China, born and raised in China until I was 18. China was very, very different back then. We were just starting to open the door to the world and then starting to have economy opening to the world and to people as well. And I remember everyone was on bicycles when I was little. Wow. And uh, every family started to have a telephone. So telephone becoming a thing. It was around 93, 94. I started to, yeah. So all the school friends that we started to exchange telephone numbers. That's a landline number. Wow. Yeah, I know. And then my first computer was in 1995, which is quite early among my generation because yeah. um, mom was uh, in export-import, uh, working for the government. So she had a lot of resources to, to get to newest thing, you know. And also she was able to travel to for work to Europe and America and South America. So I was just getting a lot of, uh, you know, international stuff for every time when she's back. Um, yeah, so that actually opened up my eyes a lot because my mom speaks very well English. So I started learning English from quite young age, way before my school was teaching everybody. Since I was very little, my dad was always trying to give me pen and paper and then, you know, just fill up my time and realize I could draw. And, uh, and then, and then he, he kept all those scribbles of mine from my childhood. And he, he was saying, oh, you could draw a lot of uh, small figure human beings, like little dolls with a different clothes so that you could be a fashion designer. And I thought, well, is that even a job? Because that just sounds like a job. 
after high school, my parents thought, okay, so you're good at drawing and uh, what do you want to pursue for the future career that, you know, from age 15 and 16, you need to start thinking about that. So they helped me enrolling into uh, a high school that is specialized in, in art students, you know, art studying. After the day school that, so around 5 p.m., we need to go to the art classes to, to draw until about 9 p.m. and then go home, still do your homework. And then I, I think I used to go to bed around like a one or two and then, and then getting up around a six. Yeah, that, that's how strict in China. So you, you need to be in school in classes, um, sitting there already by 7.40. Okay. Yeah. So the, every day it was like that for three years, hard uh, fine arts training. So in those three years, we were trained in sketching, in uh, watercoloring, you know, in anatomy. And so that's designed to go to, uh, um, you're either studying fine art or you, you go to study design. So at the time I already knew, like, unlike, unlike for all my all my classmates that they were still trying to find out what they wanted to do. I already knew from day one, from age 16, I want to be a fashion designer. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually got, um, got accepted by two um, art universities in China, but my parents already um, had a different um, ideas, thinking if I wanted to study you know, fashion design, then Europe would be the best. And also, you know, and at the time in the 90s, there, there weren't that many international fashion magazines in China. We were just opening up to the world, you know. For example, the first time that I, I watched um, an Oscar, that was the year, was it 95 or 96? So that was the year with uh, uh, Ubi Goldenberg, that one. That was my first Oscar I've ever, ever seen. And then my first ever magazine was Elle magazine. That was from 1990, 1993. Wow. Back then in China, L magazine was the first ever international magazine. And it was every two months because the, the resources limit. So it was only until 97 that L magazine China becoming a monthly magazine. Mm you see the the crave that I could have you know every two months you're waiting for one magazine and then with every two months you study that magazine through and through pages by pages including all the credits and that's how I remembered all the names for example the photographers the designers and even the models and stylists and all these small brands from uh, Europe or Australia or, or America. So actually that's, that actually gave me a very, very good foundation for a fashion history knowledge. Wow. So really your dad gave you the first direction towards fashion by seeing your talent in drawing. Yeah. You were intrigued that you could make a living from it, but did you naturally want to do that? Or was it more for your dad? I think I had no idea at the time. And then it seems to be my only talent back then. And if your parents laid out that's a direction, even though you didn't think that would be a job, you kind of believed that is the only way that you, you would do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
How did you perceive the world, given that China was opening up later with the magazine editions, and then you're seeing things like the Oscars, which would have been like, wow, you're seeing all these amazing designs. How did you see the rest of the world in terms of art and fashion? You just want to see more, you know, um, you know, the beginning of the, the early 90s, while all my classmates were listening to Hong Kong pop stars, <laughs> I was already listening to Michael Jackson. Yeah. Once you listen to Michael Jackson, you, you know, you, you, I, pr- I pretty much I practice my English, like with all the verses and the raps, playing and rewind, playing and rewind on my cassette, you know, like, like learning all the verbs. It's amazing that, you, you know, after you had the training from Michael Jackson songs, then you don't want to listen to those <laughs> pop songs from Hong Kong, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I got introduced to Nirvana as well because um, having these cassette or CD was very, very difficult. Like, thankfully for my mom that she could get it uh, from, from Europe on her business trip, but also another important source for, you know, and then uh, I got introduced to Nirvana as well because um, having these cassette or CD was very, very difficult. Like, thankfully for my mom that she could get it uh, from, from Europe on her business trip, but also another important source for, you know, for other kids who also like Western music, but they, they don't have parents who could travel abroad, that we had another source that, you know, back in the 90s, that was the, the, the Western countries, they were exporting those CD and cassettes as plastic waste to China, oh. but they get cut with a, a notch. So sometimes when they are, they're not notched that badly, you could still listen to them, especially on CD. So they were sold to China, like they are sold by kilos. And then there are vendors who actually know music, what's going on around the world, that they would go to select the okay quality ones, and then they will start selling them as a bootleg in the small boutiques or something. And that's also another source that you could get to Western music. Amazing. Yeah. That's how, that's how me and my friends, so art fellow friends, you know, obviously we got the better taste than other students. <laughs> so, so we were listening to, you know, like different uh, rock bands from, from around the world. Yeah, that's, a, that's how we getting all the, the pop culture from around the world. That is so cool because you were almost importing before you even knew it. Yeah, this is why, you know, now being in my early 40s and looking back, that you realize culture is not just a language, it's about everything and culture needs to flow, you know, like exchange. Yes, China has amazing culture from over 5,000 years, yada, 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 but it needs to be exchanged with the rest of the world. And then the world needs to get to know China, not only thinking, oh, it's an ancient country with an ancient culture, but Mm -hmm. also, you know, exchanging the modern ones, you know, the modern elements that you can collaborating and interacting with these ancient culture together. And then then getting the new cultures reinvented for 
the new generation. And that is really, really important. You, you cannot just sit within one room, sitting on your ancient gold and then do nothing. You yeah. have to reinvent. You are sitting on a really, really amazing heritage. And then I think being in Western world for the past over 20 years, it, I realized more and more this is my mission, doing the culture exchange. Wow, brilliant. So you had a pull to get into that Western world with all your own heritage, with a desire to learn new cultures? Yeah. So you came to London, how? I actually, I went to Germany first. Okay. Um, I wanted to come to London. Uh, and at the time, I, the only place I wanted to go was uh, Central St. Martins, of, of course, by reading all the magazines that all my idols were graduated from Central St. Martins, like John Galliano, Stella McCartney, you know, like all these um, stars, but, and Alexander McQueen, of course. Um, but um, I was just becoming 18 and my mom was very worried for sending me to a huge city by myself. So she said, okay, let's go to uh, Germany where your auntie lives. And uh, also at the time, you know, for us, with, we were thinking, you know, Europe is Europe. Western people are Western people are the same. And also mm -hmm. Germans are like uh, British, kind of uh, rigid, very formal, you know, but it's only like years later that I, that I knew that's totally different, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and two years later before I landed my feet in England. And what did you experience in Germany? Germany, that was just, you know, culture shock. Everything was so different. Everything was so expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Even a small bread roll that was so expensive compared to, you know, in my head that what a bread sh should be. <laughs> Is that what got you cooking so quickly? <laughs> Ah, uh, you know what? Actually, I was already cooking. I, because um, my parents was on business trip quite a lot in my early teens, and also my mom, both my parents, quite keen to teach me cooking. So I got quite independent from early on. But it was being in Germany that you know, I I actually I never really used chopstick properly until I got to Germany. Really? Yeah. Before I was always using only spoons. And then I realized, oh, chops is so useful while cooking, especially cooking Chinese. You know? So I started using chops quite a lot, very, very often. That, that was a big, big change I remembered. Yeah. But thinking about the culture shock, if you compare culture shock from China to Germany, I would say the culture shock from Germany to England is even bigger than coming to Germany. In what way? Just as you thought that this is Europe, this is Western world, getting used to it and then coming to England. So imagine being in Germany, everything's so tidy and clean and you hardly seen any black people. Mm. And then arriving in London and then Birmingham. I actually I studied in Birmingham, not in London. That's another story to tell later on seeing well compared to Germany it's so dirty uh -huh. <laughs> so chaotic in a way you see the Caribbean people the African immigrants 
and also the class the, the class difference is so obvious than Germany that is a really big culture shock just when I thought I already know what the western culture was like England is teaching me a different sort of uh, culture shock wow then the first three months I hated it I was thinking why am I coming here? I was already so comfortable in Germany. Why should I come to England? This is painful. But after three months, I was loving every single bit. And I realized one thing. It was because of, you know, the, the difference of the classes that is making Britain, this little island, so energetic on, on creativities people from from lower classes that they are fighting for a better life with their creativity so if you look at the Beatles or the great musicians they came from poverty yeah yeah and then um designers John Galliano, Alizana McQueen they they came from poverty as well but the society is giving them the opportunity and recognize their talents and that's what this country is amazing about. That really amazed me. You know, you, you could see all these energies. The example of Billy Elliot, Eden John, they all came from lower class. And you hardly see any of those in Germany because people are getting too comfortable over there and they're possibly less fighting for their life. Mm. So did you see... Uh, London in particular, a place of opportunities for everyone. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's really fascinating. So you essentially came to London. Eventually, I landed to London for my second job in fashion design already. So I already finished my study in Birmingham and I came to London as a young professional. Finally got it to London. Okay, so, so with the, the degree, the fashion design degree under your belt, what and who would you say were your strongest influences? Aside from the designers that you mentioned. I think there are different stages. When I was in uh, university, my tutor used to call me Miss, Miss Westwood because <laughs> I was so heavily influenced by Vivian Westwood. <laughs> yeah, and then also I really, really loved Yoji Yamamoto at the time. I still love him now, but now I think I have more broader taste and getting to know all different kind of subcultures, the references from the history, interests in different mm. categories now. Yeah. Mm. So touching on the history, is there a favorite era that really pulled you, that you loved the look of in terms of fashion? 90s. Yeah, I love 90s. I, obviously, I grew up that that was my teen teenage time and you know all those supermodel time yeah. especially time between 92 to 95 and I find those magazines are very very interesting fashion editorials back then they are describing a sort of a lifestyle that's giving you a sort of a, the room to imagine what that type of lifestyle that would be yes these days that fashion editorials are still nice but they are just too detailed described very well staged if you look at british uh, british vogue these days mm -hmm. they are spectacular editorials with way too much details 
but less room for people to imagine, to relate themselves to, into those editorials. I don't find them that interesting anymore. For example, these days, I read French Vogue more because they still keep their editorials with that sort of a sense of uh, being 90s, still describing the lifestyle. You know, even with the, with the current fashion items, the way how they telling a story is, is different to British Vogue. So I wanted less staged and less profound. Do you think um, by the 90s, you mean it was more attainable? So somebody that uh, would view fashion editorials, anything visually about fashion, was it more attainable that everybody can be involved in fashion and find a look for themselves, create a style? I think nowadays it's more versatile. I mean, at the moment, there's a, a reborn of the Y2K, you know, from the early noughties. It's coming back that I feel like, you know, uh, jeans is becoming more important for daily wardrobe again. It's, it's getting a little bit more, uh, more interesting now instead of just a dress grand. But back in the 90s, economy was booming the whole world and people were just having fun and Chanel Coco Chanel always said that the skirt length should not be higher than the knees but back in the early 90s Karl Lagerfeld just made it really super short because of the economy booming everyone was uh, having fun to have these mini skirts yeah <laughs> Fashion is about our daily life. It's not just uh, something that you put into an ivory tower. Mm -hmm. What's your view on disposable fashion? Mm, I hated it. But we can't really avoid it because, you know, we've all been in our 20s trying to find our own style and then buying a lot from high street because they were cheaper. That's giving you more opportunities to, to find out your own style after trying a lot of different, you know, that there are some failures that you don't keep anymore and then there are pieces that you want to keep in your wardrobe. Yes, it's a learning stage. Yes, okay, my epiphany came from when I was 28 that uh, I started not to buy from High Street anymore. But, you know, for every single person, when you reach that, it's, it's entirely your own life choice. But still, I always want to tell my friends and spreading this message, you know, buy less and buy better. Because I work in fashion industry and you could just see the, the excess amount of products that are being poured into this society that you cannot absorb at all. Mm. And on the, on the other side of the capitalism, it's just, you know, craving for more and more and always, you know, better sales, craving for more figures. But, you know, I always thought, you know, the only way to maybe stopping this whole wastage that maybe the government one day will say, right, it is absolutely forbidden to produce new things from raw made textile. Everything has to be produced by recycled. Yeah. And then onto yeah. then I think I think onto that day maybe vintage it will become a currency. Yeah. You know, like 
the cheap H&M and, uh, you know, all those high sheen, high street stuff that they want the really worth of something, the slowly, you know, the, the better vintage that they will become like a currency that people will starting to exchange. You have to trade, you know, by these currencies. That's just a, one of my imaginations. But I know it's very, very difficult to, to achieve because, you know, this whole production chain, you could have possibly made a Bangladeshi family livable. But the way how first the world people shopping, the consumer creating way too much waste for this yeah. world. I mean, I remember growing up in Oz, every one of my friends used to shop secondhand stores and vintage recycled hand-me-downs. And I just remember everyone being quite cool and creative with the pieces that they would get. And it was because we couldn't afford to go buy new things because that really cheap end of the market wasn't as available. Retail was still a certain price, but we were left to our own device. And actually I did it reluctantly because I came from a family where, you know, it was only acceptable to have something brand new, look sharp and smart. So it took me a long time to step into a charity shop. I eventually just really, really loved it and really appreciate it now more than ever because now I guess young people can afford to buy whatever they want because clothes are so cheap. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's good for them to explore themselves at their own style, but also at the same time, you know, this it, it breaks my heart as well. Just yeah. Looking how how easily to obtain those so-called styles mm. but actually it's it's giving them less room to let their creativity running you know yeah. actually you are wearing some certain styles and looks that's already manufactured by the whole industry yeah not by your own imagination yeah yeah I completely agree in terms of art as a whole the word art and the term, what does that mean to you if you were to describe what art is to you? Put it really simple, like wearing clothes, but you have your own space that you want to decorate the space. Mm. It's the same like clothes. So that's, you know, you're wearing clothes that you want to impress people, but at the same time, you want to impress your own satisfaction and your own feeling. You know, mm. you dress to please yourself, not only to please other people. The same as for art, that is, you know, you, you are decorating your own space, not only to entertain your friends, but you're entertaining your own feeling. I love that. Yeah. I'm not saying that um, whose taste is better because we all got different stages of realizations on life and on surroundings. So, you know, you go through different stages on art. Yeah. I actually remember when you became quite conscious about streamlining your wardrobe and stripping things back and what really meant something to you in terms of items of clothing. Um, and I really respected that because it was a bit of a wake up moment that you felt the need to act on, you know, given we're up against the odds when it comes to availability of clothes mm. and the saturation of consumerism but also when we lived together um 
I loved and I was proud to see that you transitioned from working for a company to working for yourself. I was a self-employed musician at the time. And I remember, you know, it was a really exciting time to be around each other because the possibility of you stepping into that world was about to happen. How has it served you so far? I really love it. <laughs> I don't think I could go back to a nine to five anymore. Yeah. Yes, of course, that sometimes that could be very, very busy that I could be working 20 hours a day. <laughs> but then also that it gives me freedom that I could go onto a remote island to work as well. Yeah. Honestly, I love I love the fact that these days it is so possible to do that particularly with the arts, because things can be created overnight. You know, we have online facilities. Yes, definitely. And also, you know, like stepping into the art industry from fashion industry, it's also a a kind of a wake up call for me as well. I always thought, oh, Europe is the best. (laughs) You know, like European people always didn't quite think Americans got culture, but... Until I actually, I went to America and I I was amazed by the American culture. I think because also I was more mature and I got uh, more appreciations on different styles as well. And then understanding different culture as well. Mm. Um, That's important. And then understanding how American cultures, you know, yes, all the roots are from Europe but you see how that vast country is giving all these original European culture a new life. For example, the the rock and roll culture, the road culture. Yeah. All of these came from from Europe, but American just made it even better. This is is why at the beginning I was talking about the culture exchange is so important. It needs to flow around. And then they arrive to a new territory and then they will be thriving after absorbing the local culture. Mm. This is important. So what what stood out um, immediately with North American culture or how they interpreted it? The road culture, that's amazed me, number one. You know, from what you've seen in the movies, you couldn't really feel how big America is. Yeah. Being in England, thinking about the driving to Edinburgh, that's like, oh my God, that's like to the end of the world. You think that's a six hours, eight hours, and that's so long. But in America, you're driving, you're driving eight hours and you're still in California. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Amazing landscapes. And you think how tiny yourself is. And then the way how they celebrating their lives. Yes, they are also Western society, but they're so different to European culture. I would say, okay, this would be my third culture shock. Yeah, England to America. Last December, it was my first time attending Miami Art Basel. I was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I've been to London Freeze. There are a few, you know, one or two exhibition centers. Freeze London is in my head is exhibitions, but Miami Art Basel, that's not just exhibition center, it's the whole city. Wow. Celebrating art, not only inside exhibition centers, but also on streets. Murals after murals, 
that you think, okay, because there are different artists and organizations that they, they say, oh, come to visit, inviting me, come to visit their, their artists uh, drawing the murals. And I thought, okay, maybe it's just a five to 10 murals. But when I arrived to that art district, well, uh, it's streets after streets. And of course they have better weather and those murals they just look amazing under the sunlight. Yeah. You know? Wow. It's just amazing to celebrate to that. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely going back to Miami Art Basel next year, I mean, this year. Yeah, it deserves a whole full week there. When is it? It's the beginning of December. Okay. It's totally different energy. Wow. See, when it's done right and it's in cities or wherever it is, you know, in sections of the world where people come together and create something bigger than themselves, it is quite monumental. You know, you remember that as being, you know, something beyond you've ever seen. And that's amazing. I think I'll come with you in December. (laughs) Please do. Yeah. If you described North American culture then in three words, what would they be? Vast, rock and roll, freedom. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. You know, I should tell you, when I was growing up in Australia, we're so influenced by North America there. Even our language, you know, we would call uh, trainers sneakers, pants, as in long pants, not underpants. And a lot of the American shows, you know, I grew up on so many American TV shows. So my landscape that I saw as the outside world was North America, you know, and California, New York. So I went there when I was 21 with that dream of seeing it for real. And I remember landing in L.A. and, you know, the haziness, which is basically, uh, you know, the um, pollution. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I was even in love with that because it came to life. I saw it on TV first and then I thought, oh, my God, it really does look like that. So there's a real strong, strong influence around the world, like you said, through their music, through their movies, through their landscape. They did the whole propaganda to the whole world, the whole country in their movies. I had the same feeling when I arrived in in L.A. I felt like I was walking inside the movies. (laughs) It's unreal. Everything feels so familiar, you know, like even seeing a, the police car, you feel like, <laughs> but you don't get that feeling being in London, seeing the London police car, right? It's no. because we are not making enough movies yeah. to advertise that to the world. It's, it's attitude as well, because I think, you know, um, coming to London, I expected the police to have the long truncheons you know like the movies with the tall <laughs> the big tall bobby hats and I didn't see that I thought where are they you know I, I think pop culture is big in America because they celebrate it and that's why yeah. it goes around the world whereas yeah. I think perhaps in in England it's different now there is definitely more more scope being shown you know from yeah from inner city London to, you know, like you said, Caribbean people. Mm-hmm. But in America, they really celebrate it. And that's why you from China, me from Australia, we've been influenced. Yeah, it came to us. Michael Jackson came to you in China. <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, you know, back in the 90s, in China, we were only importing 10 world cinema per year at wow. the time. Wow. 
yeah, in around mid nineties, like ninety four. So I think my first ever Western, well, Hollywood movie to watch in the cinema, it was The True Lies. <laughs> that was my first movie, the Hollywood movie, to watch in the cinema, not on a cassette, video cassette, because. My, my first one from a, from a video cassette that was Jurassic Park. It was always my favorite, favorite, favorite all time. So this time being in Miami, I actually, I drove to uh, Key West. Mm. And I, when I was, you know, on those um, ocean bridges, the only thing I was thinking in my head was two lies. <laughs> the soundscape of your life. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm traveling with my reference, growing up a reference. Yeah, yeah, you've got the theme music and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got projects or you've had projects, and I'm sure you'll have more, um, that are international now, including North America. Can you share some of those that took you working to North America? Oh, yeah. So um, the first project that actually took me to LA, that was uh, ComplexCom. Mm. At the time, it was only their second year. So Complex Con was released in 2016 that they started. And then it's a, a big fair putting street fashion, retail, music, food, lifestyle, culture all together. So it's in Long Beach next to L.A., it's a two-day event. You can walk around different stores and then they have, in the evening, they have two days live concerts as well. So wow. imagine the first year headlining, they got Snoop Dogg. Wow. So, um, of course, you know, it's a homecoming. That was my first ever complex con, partially as the organizer, because I brought one of my clients from China, a street fashion brand, had a hell of a great time over there. You know, that was my first trip to LA <laughs> that I actually stayed for over a month that I needed to come earlier to... Um, recruit people and meeting my subcontractors builders for building the the, the store in complex com that was great fun wow was that exciting and nerve-wracking being your first time with such a big show not too nerve-wracking before that i already organized the fashion show in london fashion week so it's just a different type of fashion show you know you just need to be patient, uh, manage your time well, and then attention to details. I wasn't really too nervous about it. Yeah. Did you get inspired? Uh, did you come away with new ideas for yourself? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's, mm. that's when I started realizing how great America is. Mm -hmm. In terms of technology, how do you see technology playing a part in fashion? I'm sure... You you know everyone's been talking about the metaverse i mean even myself i don't want people maybe people talking about metaverse too much that is when it's being talked about too much people may be creating a sort of a negative feeling to it but mm. still that is something really exciting about what the vr and uh, the metaverse and also even cryptocurrencies and also nfts that's interesting but at the end i want people to realize that they are just tools no difference to paintbrush mm -hmm. 
that help the the artist or we as a usual appreciators that's no difference it's just helping all of us to create better art it's just a tool yeah at the end content is still the gold you need to use this tool to produce something meaningful something full of creativities and energy that is still the gold mm-hmm. your brain your life experience with your brain what you want to express or your realization about it, your life that is still the key so the important thing is to tap into what it is you want to convey what's your message i think art at the end it needs to be appreciated by human beings mm-hmm. and then this connection of human beings at the end that we still need to be physically seeing the art that you cannot just having an nft without a physical appreciation Mm-hmm. Like if you look into the NFTs, uh, so most of the really recognized or well-sold NFTs artists, they all have a fundamental fan base in the real world because we are still living in this real world. Yeah, we don't even have just the five percent of our world getting into digital yet. So until that day, the majority of our life is still in the real world. Even though technology is a tool, where do you see it going? Because technology has moved so fast in the last 10, 20 years, faster than the average person can keep up sometimes. So do you think that momentum is just going to continue or will there be a burst? It, it would be. That, that's why I was talking about like, you know, once our lives, in the digital world would reach to 5%, I think that would have a significant jump making our life different. Because, you know, last Friday, we just had a really, really good show, London Fashion Week, that's, that was with Jack Irving. And, you know, his, his designs were more like stage wear, like with stage costumes. So it was worn by uh, Lady Gaga and also Paris Hilton and Cheryl Cole. That's not to be worn on as a daily, daily wear. But mm. it also gives you a space to imagine what the other kind of, uh, you know, the onstage lifestyle that would be. So that's why I was talking about the space of imagination. We need to have this uh, enough space to imagine. And then... He also created, so we, we together, uh, that we um, represent, he presented some NFTs that like 3D virtual fashion in our fashion metaverse called Alice Land. Mm-hmm. So that's another project that we are working on, aliceland.io. So, you know, I, what I really like about it, one of his words is actually quite similar to my thoughts in the future. In the digital world, it doesn't need to be a normal fashion, you know, like by the economy and our lifestyles are evolving, our art tastes are changing. Five years ago, our aesthetic appreciation were skinny models, right? The yeah. whole world was kind of that. And then Kim Kardashian came at the beginning. Everyone thought, oh my God, that was ugly. Like, how could you, you know, that's huge art, that disproportion. But now slowly the whole world, the, the aesthetic appreciation is changing to, to this sort of a unusual proportion 
you know, that's still in the real world. And imagine when uh, our life would reach that 5% in the digital world, you know, our appreciation might change again, that we could think maybe a three meter or six meters figure would be a beauty. You know, something won't be in the real real world. Like, like in Monster Inc., we possibly would think a, a monster is a beauty. Creating new art appreciation benchmarks for ourselves. Yeah. I think that's a, that lifestyle and technology would help us going into that. That's my theory. Yeah. 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 Well, it's changing perceptions, isn't it, as well? What Definitely. we deem as acceptable or not. And, and through the power of technology, marketing, things that, you know, deliver those messages to people um, as normal, people accept them more. Definitely. Yeah. People's acceptance are constantly changing. Yeah. Human beings are very, very adaptable. Yes. So true. So through all of your shell shocks of traveling different countries, meeting different cultures, I know you're a travel bunny and you love the travel itself. How does travel make you feel? At the beginning of the traveling, I'm always feeling like, because I'm a cancer, <laughs> you know, like cancerians, actually, we love our shells. Actually, we love being home. So that's why every time before the new travel, I'm always feeling a little bit tiptoe in my heart. <laughs> you know, just the, the uncertainty actually giving me the uneasy feeling. And then mm. once I'm landed there, and then the curiosity always drives me to, oh, I want to see this, I want to see that. It keeps me going again. And then, and then at the end of the traveling, I'm always, oh, finally I'm home. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So since pandemic, I mean, this year, I want to explore Europe more, which I haven't really done, you know, apart from those a few countries that I always go to. Scandinavian, I haven't seen that much. And then East European, I haven't seen that much. So especially now I have my driving license. So I want to, uh, I want to explore more on road trips. America is a totally different thing after I got my driving license. <laughs> If you can drive on American roads, you can drive anywhere. <laughs> I think America is really easy to drive. The yeah. roads are so wide. Big. And yeah, after driving in America, eight hours is nothing for me yeah. now. <laughs> you can go to Edinburgh and back three times now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so are there any destinations that have left a lasting impression on you? Cuba was incredible. Yes, I agree. Very special yeah. place. Very, very special place. Yeah, I, I remember I wrote down on my arrival because uh, I was just looking at the sky and it kind of like bring me back to the memories of how China was like back in the late 80s. Everyone's so sincere. And then men were very, very proud. They respect women very much and like, you know, and like other, other uh, Latino culture. And I remember I wrote down this first couple of hours being in my hotel room, looking at the skyline and I suddenly could understand why Hemingway killed himself 
after living there so many years that uh, you know he had to he had to leave uh, Cuba due to the political change mm. over there because it's so beautiful. Yeah. But it's like a little bit of sort of a solitary. Even the light in the air, everything is so beautiful, but with a bit of a sadness. Yeah. Even though you know, I at the time I I only know very little stories about Hemingway. Didn't know that much, and I could still see it's so beautiful. Yeah, you know, when when you go to Cuba, as we both have done, you you do take a little bit of it away with you. It leaves definitely an imprint um yes. like, like you said the people the feeling the time going back in time almost because you're seeing yeah. cars and and buildings that have been preserved so it's really romantic in that sense as well but you're right that the the lasting impression for me was how kind everyone was I never felt yeah. Un unsafe yeah I even, I think it was like 3 or 4 a.m. I was in some sort of suburb area. I got invited by the locals to some sort of parties. And I was in the middle of the night uh, waiting for a local bus at 3 a.m. And then there were, there were not many female, but lots of men. And I felt so safe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there is a pride, I think, like you said, and I think it impacts um, somehow collectively how everyone is um, in order to invite or, or make tourists feel like they can come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, people are just so true. I mean, so yeah. the hearts were, the hearts are pure. That's like China back in the 80s and yeah. 90s. And then the economy opened money just went into people's head and then your heart is not not as pure as, as yeah. before yeah. yeah isn't it amazing how beautiful life is when it's really stripped back to simple simplicity yeah i agree that, that that's the same when i found that your life can be so simple you know like when when i was staying in uh, northern california in the mountains you know, I am always a city girl, but somehow that I survived in the mountains for a few months. Yeah. So what's your current next plan and purpose behind it? Well, uh, I'm looking after a few artists, sign them uh, within our agencies, growing together with them, you know, not just helping them, but also it's growing with them together. By using my life experience, you know, it's it's different to other art agencies or galleries. We talk about me and my artists. We talk about absolutely everything. I talk about that life and why they they are interested in this object and the colors and everything. It is a journey of how we are growing together. More like you know, I don't want to say I'm like a life tutor for them, but because I feel like I'm growing. I'm growing myself as well. Yeah, that's amazing. So that's my next goal. That's um, helping these three artists to gain their international um, acknowledgement. Yeah. Mm. So connecting them to the rest of the world. Yes, because my agency that uh, um, most of uh, most of my clients are a Chinese mega 
brands. They are quite big brands. Of course, these days with the awakening of the marketing magic in China, that everyone realized, okay, we need to collaborate with something interesting. Been constantly looking for different talents, whether it's from music or from art. So I, my job is to find the right artist to build up their brand identity. That's exciting, and in a way, opens you visually to create. Anything with them? Yeah, I feel like what's that word? The um, the the people who look after the the the, the prostitutes. So finding finding them <laughs> the, the right clients. You're the pimp. <laughs> you're the pimp. I'm the pimp. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you're the pimp with the passion. <laughs> <laughs> with the art. <laughs> yeah. No. And and in a way, mental. Some of the artists they are already very well established, but I could still find them the right client brand to、uh, collaborate together. Yeah. Do you see that straight away when you see something matches another thing, or does it develop over time that this person would be great with that? You 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 do kind of see it straight away, but sometimes the brand client might not agree with you. Yeah. But you know. This is still a whole、uh, education journey to the brand because you always know more about what's going on on the industry, and then the brand. Okay, the brand they know themselves more, but they don't really quite know what's going on, what's hype at the moment.、Yeah. So you have to convince them, educate them, what's hot, and what's suitable for them. So. Yeah, it's down to your presentation skills、uh, lots of times. Yeah, and it's super important the collaborative process. Yeah, I'm basically a middleman. You have to make both sides happy. Yeah, <laughs> the bridge. Yeah. yeah, the bridge. That's important. The bridge. Actually, it is again bridge to two different cultures. Yeah, which you were saying at the beginning, culture. You know, it's not just language.、Yeah. It's everything that these days I realize every single problems, whether it's big or small, down at the end, stripped to the bone, is always culture difference causing all the problems. Yeah, yeah. Culture can resolve culture. Yeah. Well, even stripped down to membrane is, I think, fear of the differences. You know. Once they realise we're all very similar in the humane sense, our culture differences are like the spice and the flavour in the cooking. And once you are open to tasting it, you realise that we're all cooking food, we're eating food, but it just tastes different. So if we're willing to try each other's food, what an exciting life! It is, yeah. But to、uh, open up for that first. First experience that takes a great courage. Yeah, totally. So, in terms of your passion for fashion, what would you say is your understanding of happiness? Because your life has led you to your passion. You are fulfilling a life of work in art, design, creating with creatives. But what? What is really your understanding underneath it all of what happiness means to you? Balance and honesty. That's one thing that I constantly tell my artists that after seeing a lot of different 
artists, their life expand. And, you know, I actually, I realized one fundamental theory that an artist being a great artist, that they have to be so true and honest to themselves. You know, why Frida Kahlo is being an amazing artist, not an illustrator, because she is true to herself, that she really cut her heart up. And then she's brave enough to present that to the whole world, you know, every smallest pain and thought that she was honest and brave enough to draw them out and present to the whole world. And that journey is very, very difficult. And that's why it's making her an artist. That this, this realization I keep telling my artists, you have to be true to your feeling. You can't hide anything. Yeah. And this is why it moves people. Exactly. Otherwise, it's just uh, some pretty decorations. Yeah. I mean, I, I see a lot of different art. Some of them, they are pretty, but you don't feel related. Okay, maybe I'm not related because I didn't have that sort of similar life, life experience. But also sometimes certain art, they are just uh, pretty patterns. But you yeah. do need to have a sort of a meaning to it. Yeah. So art really is the story behind it. Yes. Yeah. And the journey when you reveal it, whether as a observer or as a creator. Yeah. I've loved getting into your mind. As friends already, I knew you had a brilliant mind, but just to have one-to-one -one time to talk a little bit more about your background and your journey, your path, where it's taking you in the world. And well, continue to take you is is a privilege. I love our our conversation today as well. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, and we'll do it again. We'll do it again. Yeah. <laughs> but as you know, you know, for me, this this podcast came at a time when the world was in lockdown and as a musician and an artist and a creator, it was all about connecting and it was just a chance to connect with people and shine a light on all the wonderful creatives around me and you're definitely one of them. Thank you. I listen to your podcast quite a bit and, uh, you know, you have a really, really great way of story storytelling. It is important. So at the end, it is always story that uh, interests people. And recently I read a, a book. It's called Calm Carries On. It's written by a Muslim a Canadian female author. And it's quite contemporary storytelling of uh, a Muslim second generation in Vancouver, uh, a 25-year-old female, how she, her journeys with a podcast and also with her family business as well. It's really, really interesting. And I think that's what it is. It comes down to that, what you said, you know, we've all got stories and we're all so different to each other, even though many things connect us. It's the differences that should be celebrated um, as well as where we have in common, but to be brave enough to, to talk about those things. And I, for one, am learning along the way with this podcast because I feel every conversation I have um, with the next guest and the next 
it enlightens me. I always finish feeling uplifted. I've learned something not only about them, but about myself because it's a two-way conversation and it's got a mind of its own now and it's turning into something else. And yeah, you're part of that journey. So I'm really glad I finally got hold of you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so we got one more question, which is the actual name of the podcast, Between the Sound. What does that phrase mean to you? I mean, the, the first impression I had, okay, because Amelia, you were a great singer with your band. You were still in the music industry. And that, my first impression was, okay, between the sounds, that was, um, you know, the stories that you're collecting between all musicians. And then I then realized that it, it's broadening to different categories, different people and different sound of people. Mm-hmm. and uh, it's a great name it, it's your story while you're collecting other people's story that you are collecting between you are making your music yes you're making your sounds I, lo- I love hearing everyone's own perception and understanding of what that simple phrase means to them because it's not simple mm-hmm. of course <laughs> Yeah. And I think as well, something should be said about taking our time with things, because especially living in a a city in amongst a world of technology where things happen very spontaneously and quickly, we want results quickly. Sometimes our stories aren't ready to be told until they're ready to be told, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, for myself, I know that to be the case. Um, And I'm okay with that. You know, it's coming out as and when I meet people and talk. And that's what I'm hoping to encourage more of in this world of technology, more talking. I, I am quite privileged to have to have that glimpse of your life as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm, I know um, people call it coincidence. I call it synchronicity. And I know that us meeting living together and moving in similar circles and finding ourselves on different parts of the world and then back again is all synchronicity. We're meant to know each other. Yes. Thank you so much, Ching. I love you. You too. I love you too. And uh, next time in London, we got to, uh, you know, have one or two drinks together. Definitely. Definitely. With a few little dumplings. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You still remember that. All right, take care. Thank you. Great. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.